Hello, I'm Ashley. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 23 of Choose Film Podcast. And today we are joined by Chris Quick. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And Chris has brought the film The Wicker Man, the original. Chris, thank you for joining us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, certainly. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, my name's uh, Chris Quick. I've been a video editor now for maybe, oh, just coming up for 15 years, I think it is. Uh, done a variety of things, short films, you know, the usual commercials and all sorts, uh, corporate videos, weddings even as well. Quite a lot of collaborations as well with some of our uh, infamous Glasgow talent, uh, Andy McEwen, uh, Steve Johnson, Johnny Herbin. So yeah, it's been quite a fun ride. This, this industry, it's, yeah, there's nothing quite like it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And why the Wicker Man when we put the Scotland theme to you? I don't know. I, I, I suppose I just thought something a wee bit different. You know, I, I think there's some films you automatically go to when you think Scotland, and I just sort of try and think a wee bit out of the box and try and think of somewhere where Scotland's maybe more of a backdrop or a hint, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the film Wicker Man, and I thought, yeah, that would be a good choice as something probably not everybody would necessarily jump to thinking of Scotland. Absolutely. And the Wicker Man is certainly out the box. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> In every way. Definitely. In every way, yeah. <laughs> um so Chris, if you had to rate the Wicker Man out of ten, what would you give it? Ooh. I would say it scores a comfortable eight out of ten. Nice. It's one of these films there's wee bits and bobs to it that's not quite right and a couple of miscastings, but uh, yeah, no, I think a comfortable eight. And Gary, what about you? I'm going to give it an eight out of ten as well. Um, this film is so strange and weird, <laughs> but that's like right up my street. And as soon as I finished watching it, I wanted to watch it again, so I did last night <laughs> before coming <laughs> on. But weirdly enough, um, obviously we've uh, released the local hero episode, and I've seen so many similarities to it. Yeah. Yeah, and I gave it a strong 7 out of 10 for me. Um, it was one of those that, by the end of it, I was like, "What? why did I love that? Like, I loved it, it was great. But um, towards the start, it took me a while to kind of get the grasp of it. But I guess that's probably the same with anyone watching it for the first time. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners who maybe haven't seen The Wicker Man, um, the plot centres on the visit of Police Sergeant Neil Howie to the isolated island of Summer Isle in search of a missing girl. Um, Howie, a devout Christian, is appalled to find that the inhabitants of the island have abandoned Christianity and now practice a form of Celtic paganism. Welcome, fool. I believe in the life eternal as promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ! Howie, West Highland Police. I am here to investigate the disappearance of Rowan Morrison. If she existed, we would know. You suspect foul play? I suspect murder. Sergeant, if I with you, I would go back to the mainland. You wouldn't be around here on lady. Hail the Queen of the Bay! Pagan. 
Where is Rowan Morrison? Come. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Oh, Jesus Christ! Let's get started. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, my first positive point is the absolute cult-like faith and their absolute conviction and belief in their beliefs and their uh, spirituality and I love throughout the film how whenever someone's belief or practice is questioned they're so matter of fact about it like the teacher gets questions with her uh, questioned by the sergeant about her beliefs and you know what they're bringing the children into you know dancing around the maypole and the symbolism of everything and things that you just think these are kids they they may be uh shouldn't be doing things like this all the time and they're just so matter of fact like why wouldn't you do this and I love when um Lord Summerisle is asked about the the girls dancing naked round the fire and he just says well naturally they would be naked it's far too dangerous to jump through fire with your clothes on <laughs> and it's just so like why wouldn't we believe this like what are you talking about you're the weird one to um Howie who is very Christian. He is very strong on his own faith. And I really like how strong the, I don't even know what what to call um, the faith. It is like the Celtic paganism uh, that they believe in. It's so strong. It's never, it's never um, apologised for, you know, when Howie comes in and starts questioning all their beliefs and practices, no one retreats into hiding or you know, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this in front of this guy or whatever. Take what you want, like it or leave it, this is us. And I just love how unapologetic it is. Yeah, and they even question Howie on Christianity. Um, it's Lord Summerisle and he says, Detective Howie says to him, um, you're, you're teaching a fake religion. And he says something along the lines of, yet you believe that Jesus, the son of a virgin, was impregnated by a ghost or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So right away he's like, well, you have these parts of your religion that seem to be like magic and miracles, but yet you don't question that. Yeah, and I think um, what I quite like about it is, for me, I would expect, I mean, this is a very generalisation, but a big generalisation, but you would expect someone who is really strong on their own faith and knows the importance of faith, would be very open to other people's faiths. But Howie is not. <laughs> he really is not at all. I think you would say Summerisle's probably the same, actually. You know, because yeah. neither men back down throughout the film. Definitely. I just, I love the strength of it. I love how they make their, it so intriguing. Like, we just get these little shots of people, you know, having, like, sex in the field or naked women crying at graves and and it's just little glimpses here and there and you're like wait what but how does this tie into anything and then it just unfolds and unfolds and you're like oh my god this way of living and then you've got um obviously later with the May Day celebrations kids um saying that they carry out death and they've carried death out of the village and they're carrying this wrapped up kind of mummified baby and it's so creepy but they're having the time of their lives um yeah it's just fascinating to watch um the portrayal of their faith in this chris you think i know you said that um neither howie or lord summerisle backs down but do you think that lord summerisle believes 
in his religion, or do you think he is keeping this um, face up because his grandfather and his uh, dad believed in this religion? Because he's basically, to me, at some points in it, he's saying that they're doing this so that they get the fruit and veg grown again on the island and they need to sacrifice someone. And at the end, when Detective Howie says, well, if this doesn't work, it'll be you they're burning next year. And there's this look in his eye of, oh, you might be right, actually. <laughs> and it's almost like his father believed in it, his grandfather believed in it, and he's carrying on with this tradition almost to stay in power. I think that's the power of cults, isn't it? You know, that way they are engrossed in what they believe in. And you kind of wonder, had Howie not gone through with it and had gone back to the mainland, would they have burnt Rowan Morrison? Yeah, true. Mm. Yeah. Because it's interesting as well that like, they say something along the lines of they need someone to come to the island willingly, um, someone who's a virgin, and I think it's someone who's got authority, who's in some sort of power. And they give him so many chances to get out of any of them. So he could have slept with he could have slept with Willow. Um, they tell him to get the last boat or the last ferry off the island, and he doesn't do that. And if he'd just done any of them, then he wouldn't have been sacrificed. He'd have been useless to them. It's like his faith led him to his own death. Yeah, in that sense, like for him to do the moral thing and to do what's right led him to his own death. Yeah. it's a strange. It, 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 I mean, I I always don't understand why people don't see this as a horror film. It, it's not a horror film for blood and gore and all that, but it is truly terrifying, you know, when you kind of start to look into it. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a horrific tale. Yeah. yeah, when the whole end unfolds and, you know, you kind of see Lord Summer Isle throughout as quite cheery, you know, he, it's, he seems to love the life, you know, he's there playing his piano, the teacher's singing on the carpet, he's got all this grandeur and everything. Um, and then it gets really sinister really quickly. Um, and there's always that, there is that underlying tone of like, something's not right here. Right from the right from the outset, you know, when um, Howie arrives on the island and all the men are like, nope, never seen her, never seen her. You know there's something, there's something not right. Um, but the ending is really, really scary. And I think what is scary about it is that the whole island is so happy happy to sacrifice, happy to burn alive all these animals and this man to get fruit and veg to grow. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and the other thing is, it's that sense of dread and mystery that brings the horror with it. It's wanting to know more and wondering what's going on as as part of the horror. You know, as Chris says, it doesn't need to be like jump scares and tense music. It is being this fish out of water mm-hmm. and not having a clue about what's going on around you. I think sometimes with true horror, the horror is not being able to see the enemy. They said that about, although it's not a horror film, Dunkirk. You never see the enemy in Dunkirk, and that's the most terrifying aspect of it. You know, that is always hinted at, and it's probably for a large part of this film as well. You don't kind of know what's happening and what's kind of following this man until the very also the very end when you see what they had in store for him. Yeah, I think that's why folklore horror works so well because you have things like pagans worshipping a god or worshipping a demon and it doesn't matter if the demon or the god exists or not, that's not the scary part. It's the fact that they 
believe in this so much that they will like sacrifice you or it's why like I don't know if you would call it folklore but it's why the Blair Witch Project the original worked so well because it was the fear of not being able to see anything but creepy stuff going on around these characters that was freaking them out therefore we were freaked out yeah mm-hmm. and definitely it's it's quite scary how it shows the strengths of beliefs and how they affect our lives completely um you know any child who was brought up in that island is going to be influenced by all these other people's beliefs who have been handed down from from Lord Summerisle's grandfather and because these beliefs are so ingrained in their whole society that's what they take action upon and they've not really I don't think anyone on that island has any other choice but to live in that way so it is terrifying how you know it kind of shows what a cult could become you know because if you're born into that you're growing up with those beliefs they're being imprinted on you and that's your that's your life and I think that's a a truly scary part of it because that can that can happen with any any belief you know mm-hmm. so how far how, how far mankind will go yeah you know, to their beliefs to follow or to follow their beliefs absolutely crazy okay so Chris <laughs> what was your first positive point on the film well, for me, I had the first point was the writing. You know, this is uh, Anthony, I think it's Anthony Schaffer, is pronounced. He also did the film Sleuth, which I don't know if either of you have ever seen, with Lawrence Olivia and Michael Caine. And it's a similar kind of slow burner in the sense that you don't quite know what's happening. It's a bit kind of zany, a bit kind of out there. And then it's just, yeah, it just gets creepier and creepier. And then it's just like, whoa, what just happened, you know? And I just think it's fantastic you know I mean from start to finish it's so uncomfortable and nauseating and it's funny because when you first kind of see it and probably in this day and age as well almost a lot of it seems quite laughable or should be quite laughable but there's something about the way it's written the way it's shot and the way you know it was filmed yeah it just has this very sort of unnerving unsettling kind of effect on people and I just think that's you know that is horror I don't get the whole jumps like you say Gary jump scares and blood and gore and all that but this when it kind of plays on your mind I think that's that's true horror Mm -hmm. yeah and when people laugh at horror films as well like The Wicker Man or Midsummer or even something as wacky as Saw or Hostel I think sometimes people laugh when they're nervous or feeling uneasy. You know, if you've been ever been in an uncomfortable situation and you don't know what to do, you laugh. Mm-hmm. And so when you're watching something that is uncomfortable, like The Wicker Man, there's like the scenes obviously with Willow in her bedroom dancing naked. And it's kind of frightening if you were in that situation, like watching that. So you kind of laugh because you feel like, you need to do something because you're just like, what is going on? So the body feels uncomfortable. So then it like, it starts laughing at that uncomfortable unease that the film puts you in. People will jump at a jump scare, then you hear the rest of the audience in a cinema laugh. And it's because it, that, that person that's jumped has made you feel back at ease, if that makes sense. And I think films like this do the same. I remember going to the cinema as well. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. I know. Yeah, I think... You're so right. The writing is amazing because throughout the film, I was 
trying to work out like what's going on what's this leading to and that's the unnerving bit like I, I felt like I couldn't get a grasp on on what this was actually coming to and I, it made me want to watch more and it kept me really connected you know there wasn't a there wasn't actually a point of this film where I thought oh you could cut that bit out you know it was all perfectly there for a reason and every little aspect of their cult and their faith that was revealed it took you in a different direction and it kept you on edge the whole time yeah i like the way it's filmed as well because like you're saying you couldn't cut anything out to me sometimes watching this it almost feels like a documentary and detective howie is your um, presenter so he arrives in the island doesn't know anything and he explores that island he explores the school he explores the local shop he um, explores the, the lord's manor and picks up pieces of information as he goes people are pointing out their costumes about what they're going to wear or he's looking in chess and finding objects and he's like what's that and what do you hear and the local folk are actually just explaining their their way of life to him that's why it works so well it feels very real absolutely so gary what is your first point it's just about how religion and sex is explored in the movie so we've kind of touched on some of it already but in western society christianity is almost forced upon some people and i think in a really grim way this film is saying that there is other religious communities and groups out there and we fear them because we don't understand them. We fear the unknown and at the same time we want to know more and that's what gives it this this creep factor, if you like. Like even Detective Howie is constantly trying to force Christianity upon these people and he builds like a cross on top of this the memorial stone that was supposed to be where um, Rowan was and he questions them like saying stuff like, have you ever heard of Jesus? Like this is ridiculous. But it's an interesting idea because the church isn't used for um, Christianity anymore and like this pagan belief has been built on top of those grounds but a lot of Christianity was born, they took over old pagan buildings and borrowed from other religions and then there's this like openness to sexuality on the island like as Ashley said when uh, Howie's taking the walk at night and there's just like orgies happening in like the fields and in the cemetery and the songs that they sing as well like there's a one about the landlord's daughter and both the landlord and Willowy's daughter they, they join in on that like it's not as if it's degrading her like she's happy to sing along and then obviously Howie is this devout Christian and he is lured by both Willow and the rest of the villagers into this sexual way, this pagan cult. So he almost doubts his own beliefs on this mission and I think the audience are almost supposed to doubt what they believe in as well. And I guess we would need to talk about that scene with Willow where she like dances naked and tries to get his attention through the wall and like tries to almost seduce him. It's weird and it's cringy to watch but I, I love it I think it's like trying to say a lot um, because like Willow's like singing to camera she's singing to us and we're like oh my what are we watching here but at the same time we are captivated by it and you can't take your eyes off the screen like you're just like what is happening here and then the next morning Howie wakes up and she's in his room like opening the curtains 
and he's almost like, was that a dream? Was that real? Like, and we as an audience are like the same. We're like, what is happening here? Was that real? Like, what what is going on? I think the film uses a lot of weird sexual imagery to make us feel awkward. And someone said that the women on the island are just used in this sexual way. And I think that is true. Um, and you could almost look at it as a fault on the film. But at the same time, I think it's the beauty of sex is what they're trying to show. And if you think about what their beliefs is, they are praying and believing in a sun goddess, uh, not a male god, it's a goddess, so they're looking up to females. I totally agree, like that um, scene where she's dancing naked, it's almost hypnotic, isn't it? It's like, it puts Howie in some sort of trance, for sure, but... Well, he's sweating. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> Through the it's walls. Like, <laughs> you think, what's going what's gonna to happen here? I thought like that she's going to cast some sort of spell or something, I thought it was just going to elevate to that level. But you're so right, it kind of makes you question, you know, he is, Howie is very, like, far, (laughs) he's the furthest from their religion, 100%, but he doesn't see um, sex as something that should be celebrated, that naked bodies, he thinks, like, that shouldn't be there, and they're the complete opposite. So it does kind of make you think, well, where where do my beliefs fall in this spectrum that is yeah. like so so far from each other with the two sets of beliefs? And yeah, it does a, a lot of this film does actually make you question. Well, what are my beliefs, and how have my beliefs been influenced by the way I was brought up, the way I, where I live, and yeah, just what what do I believe? Like, are my beliefs as strong as the ones that we're seeing here? It's funny because you know I don't think. In the writing, the film or the the writer is ever disrespectful to either religion, but like you say, it does make you question. You know, it uh, you know are either of them right or either of them wrong? You know, it's where do you sit between these two extremes? You know, of left and right, almost. You know, yes. And I think as well, a lot of people, um, a lot of people's beliefs will be different as they grow up from what their beliefs were as a child and what beliefs were, um, I don't want to say forced upon them, but what they learned as a child growing up from parents or guardians. And then as they get older, they decide what they're going to take from that and bring with them into adult life and how much of that changes along the way. Um, There's also, so obviously I said I watched this twice, but one of them I watched was the director's cut. And there's... A scene in that where Lord Summerisle is actually introduced before how he gets to the the manor, and he's outside Willow's bedroom with a a young lad, and he basically asks Willow to take this young lad's virginity, and she's like all for it. She's like, "Yep, he needs to learn. He needs to understand our ways," and does it. And there's no passing of money. It's not like she's like the local prostitute or anything. And it's basically this woman teaching. I guess in a weird way, sexual education. I mean, when I'm saying a young lad, he's like he looks old enough to be able to have sex and stuff like that. It's not creepy in any of that type of way. But I think that's another way of like their their beliefs is like sex shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't be hidden. It should be something that should be expressed and at the right age. And this woman here will go and show you how it's done. Absolutely, and that goes very well into my second point, which is the music um, in this film. 
the first one I noticed was the landlord's daughter song, and I'm just going to read out my notes. It just says the landlord's daughter song. What the fuck? I just had. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? Like, I suppose this is you know right at the start of the film. I wasn't really certain of their beliefs, and then they're all just singing about the landlord's daughter. You know, um, being very. I don't even know what to say. Forward, more than that just quite vulgar in the song and she's loving it and I'm like why is this happening this this is so wrong and that sets up it sets up their whole uh, belief system and what they celebrate so I think the use of that song is great because it gets you thinking straight away like what on earth have I just witnessed um and then there's a lot of folk music in it which I I loved and it really it gave me um a real sense of kind of small Scottish village um like essence I suppose with the folk music and you know the backdrop of the the gorgeous island and everything um and then we have you know the landlord's daughter singing on her bed and she seems kind of possessed or enchanted kind of under a spell and the music is a huge part of their lives and we obviously see the boys singing and dancing around the maypole and it's just it's a real integral in integral part of their society um well especially the teacher singing on the carpet to the lord playing piano it just seems to be such a joyful uh like celebratory tool in their lives um which is very very normal and then of course at the end we have the switch where howie is singing so desperately um i don't know what the song's called i think it's called the lord is my shepherd um, but he is just in such desperation with the flames coming up. And yeah, I think the use of music is just really, really sets the tone and the atmosphere for the whole the whole film. It's funny because it, I think it's used in the right amount as well. Mm. Because I think a modern day film, during that final scene, you would have big orchestral music playing throughout it or something mm-hmm. whereas it's very subtle you know it's almost like the drum beat and then like you say it's him singing without music you know and it's yeah it, they use it well in the right moments I think you mm-hmm. know it's I wouldn't necessarily say it was a film that's remembered for its music I wouldn't have said it was no. like a soundtrack that's up there with you know like uh, some other films but yeah it's but when it is used it's very effective yeah and like you say you Especially with the Maypole song, you kind of it starts off sounding like it's going to be some sort of jolly, jolly tune, you know. But mm. then all of a sudden, they start talking about a man and a woman being on top of the man, then her giving birth, and then the boy grows up, and it's just yeah, it's just that unsettling again. You know? Bizarre, and I think one of the most unsettling pieces of music is when um, Howie is in the Wicker Man, and all the village or the islanders are playing this like band music, and it's nice and cheery. But they're literally about to murder someone and all all these animals, put them up in flames and they're playing the most cheery music ever. And it just, it yeah, it's so unnerving. It's horrible, but great. <laughs> I think I would maybe slightly disagree, Chris. I think it's, it is known for the music. It might just be me though, because I felt sometimes like when I was watching this, it felt like a musical because there was people singing to camera. There was just like the Maple song has just been stuck in my head since. Like, I've I've downloaded the soundtrack. I'm not going to lie. Um, I loved the music in it, and the folk music is great because it's weird, which makes it creepy. 
but it's also so joyful that it makes you feel safe. Mm-hmm. The lyrics being so, obviously with the landlord's daughter being, I guess, quite vulgar, and then the lyrics for the song Round the Maple, if you look at any nursery rhyme, it has got a past, like, Ring a Ring a Rosie is about the flu. So if you go and look at any nursery rhyme that people sang as a kid, there is a story behind that, and sometimes it can be a really dark story. So that's why I find like the songs in this captivating, and you could probably take any of these like folk music lyrics and create another whole film from what they're singing about. It's just it's interesting, yeah. Just adds to the horror of it all. It being so cheesy. Chris, what was your second point on the film? I uh, sort of two in one. Um, the performances of Christopher Lee and Edward Woodward, I mean, phenomenal. I think some people kind of say it's, you know, it's remembered for one performance or the other, but I think both are on a par. You know, I mean, Lee coming across as like this sort of suave, charming gentleman, but being a sinister tyrant behind the scenes, you know, and yeah, you just find. I don't think Christopher Lee's ever done a bad film, you know, that way. And in this, he is just utterly terrifying. And, you know, I think I guess it kind of shows that evil can come in all kind of guises. You, f- you almost kind of feel safe with him, you know. Towards the start of the film, you're kind of feeling more resentment towards Howie because you think Howie's the one that's wrong trying to enforce religion on these people and you kind of take Summer Isle's, you know, side. But then, obviously, throughout the film... You slowly kind of say, oh no, actually, we should not be siding with Summer Isle. Woodward as well. It's a hard one to describe because, you know, like, you start off by hating him, but then you've just got so much empathy towards him towards the end, you know. You just kind of think, wow, we got this so wrong. What's great about Detective Howie in it is he's so... He's, the performance is so subtle, and he just goes about his day trying to solve this case. And then at the end his performance just elevates and some say that his performance elevates that it's over the top and I don't agree with that. It's fear that elevates within him and that's what is brought through in the performance and if he toned that back in any way the the whole final act just wouldn't work in my opinion. Like it's needed. He almost comes with this higher power to the island and it's all just taken away from him. And it goes from this higher power to absolute fear. I think yeah. as well for a, an English actor, his Scottish accent, you know, is spot on, you know, yeah. because there's so many people that get it absolutely wrong and it's just uncomfortable to watch. But throughout that yeah. film, it doesn't slip once. And it's, yeah, it's just a perfect performance for him. Yeah, I would have believed he was Scottish if I didn't know who the mm. actor was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm actually just going to jump in there because that is my third point. Um his Edward Woodward's uh, performance, especially on the last uh, monologue and last scene, it's just incredible. The desperation um, in his voice, performance and everything, you feel it. Like It really makes you feel something. I think that's the first uh, point in the film where I was hit hard and I actually felt really, really awful for this, uh, really, really sorry for this character. Um, And I just think yeah, Gary, I, I wouldn't say it was over the top at all. His, he's literally about to be burned alive. Like, 
what are people expecting? Like, he's not just going to sit there. Um, and I love that he's crying out to God and he's trying to hold on to his faith. And then at some point you think he's kind of cursing everyone else. Um, and there's just so much, you see so much going on in his head. And, you know, he's surrounded by the animals and the flames and he's in this white uh, dress. And it's just, it's awful to watch like that much desperation. And it just seems so truthful um, that I thought... Amazing, amazing. I mean, the one, the one line that is absolutely horrific is when he's kind of hanging out the wicker man and he's shouting, you know, it's the Lord that has laid waste your orchards, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like you say, it's that desperation to try and negotiate with his people right to the last minute, you know. But yeah. Yeah, it's just it's utterly, utterly horrifying. And I think, I'm sure I read somewhere that he said it is one of the most horrific scenes he's ever done in his career. Yeah. And I can see why, you know, because I think he literally felt as if with the flames around him, he was burning to death. Yeah. And just on Christopher Lee as well, like, he is so charming and welcoming. He welcomes Detective Howe into his house on more than one occasion and lets him go about his business. You would put your trust in this man. And actually, if you think about it, the only thing that he does wrong is stop the burning because he never actually um, commits a crime. But yeah, it's a great, great performance. And Ashley, did you not say that you read somewhere that it was Christopher Lee's favourite performance? Yeah, I think it's, he said it was his favourite and believed that it was his best performance of his career. Um, and yeah, let's give, think... let's give him that. It is a very different performance from other things that he's done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wrote down my favourite line of Christopher Lee in this film is when he says, Sit down, Sergeant, shock is better absorbed with the knees bent. Yeah. And it's just such it's just such a funny line, you know. It's just yeah. It's that sense of calming of him again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a hilarious line, but again it's him being overly nice. <laughs> yeah, luring everybody in. Absolutely. And also I was thinking about this as well. See, even if uh, Detective Howie could stop this in any way. He keeps going about the island going, I am a police officer, I am a police officer. Um, you'll do as I say. It's not as if they've got a prison cell that they can he can put anyone in. Like, what is he supposed to do? I'm going to arrest a hundred of you and flies back in my small plane one at a time. Like what he has no chance by the time he lands on that island. He is literally a fish out of water and like he has no power anymore. Um that goes quite nicely onto my um, second point, which is Detective Howie as a character. I just don't like him. And I don't think you're meant to like him, Chris. You kind of spoke about that at the start. Mm-hmm. He's quite stern and passive-aggressive. So he comes from the mainland with this dominance, as we said, this higher power. And to me, he thinks he's better than these villagers. He says that they're all raving mad and disrespects their religion. He complains about the food. There's that scene as well where he goes out in the walk and sees them all having sex and then he barges back into the pub and like pushes by all like the locals as if they're in his way, as if they shouldn't be dancing and having a good time. He acts like they shouldn't be there. But he also disrespects the teachings and the education. He just barges in and takes over the classroom and starts writing on the board, scoring out everything that she has um, written. And if you look at the opposite side of it, the villagers are all very polite to him. They're all respectful. Um, so when he burns at the end, I'm kind of like, yeah, he deserves it. 
and even when he's captured and he's getting placed in the wicker man, he's still rambling on about his religion and his beliefs. I, I didn't feel, I guess you too, sorry for anyone that's burning, but I didn't have like this great urge for him to be saved, if that makes sense. And maybe that's because we don't really get much of a backstory to relate to the character at all. Like, he lands on an island and that's it. The only thing we get is a flashback of him at a communion. Yeah, definitely. And I think, well, at the end, I did feel really sorry for him, but I didn't I didn't connect to that character or particularly like that character the whole way through. You know, he was, in my eyes, the bad one for a lot of it because he was just completely disregarding anything that went on in this island. Like, it's a separate island and they have their faiths and he's not going in to explore their faith every time he's just shattering it down. And as you said, barging in through the pub, completely disrespecting the landlord um, before the landlord has done anything to him, you know, um, obviously ties him up at the end and stuff to get on with his plan. But um, yeah, he is just a really unlikable character. So it's yeah. very well acted. He has a line, doesn't he, that's like, this is like a Christian country. And it's funny now, like 40, 50 years later, how like that line just makes no sense anymore. And it'd be interesting to see that character in a modern society. You know, because he's so against this pagan religion, it'd be interesting to see his beliefs and thoughts on other religions, I guess, as well. Yeah, because now I would say... You know, if someone, if someone came into a film or whatever and was saying, "Oh, this is a this is a Christian country," anyone would argue back. You know, there, there's so there's so many different faiths and religions and spirituality and whatever. But um, in this film, it does it does make Summer Isle out to look so completely far from anything else, and it is still. But it's just you know the lone wolf. Of faith <laughs> yeah. out on the island. Um, so my third point was the the end monologue and Edward Woodward's performance there. So I will <laughs> so skip over that and come back to you, Chris, for your last point. Well, my third point was just the, the burning of the Wicker Man scene because I still think to this day that is one of the most horrific scenes in cinematic history. You know, and just uh, I remember I saw this when... But I could only have been about 12 or 13. It was like a mate's sleepover. They put it on and, yeah, at a young age, seeing a scene like that, you know, that was absolutely terrifying. And at the age of, oh, what am I now, 33 this year? And, yeah, I still find that such a horrific scene, you know? And I just think it's just one of the best, you know, pieces of cinematic, you know, you know pieces of cinema that we've ever had. Totally agree. Um it's one of the most horrific things in the film, obviously, is the burning of the Wicker Man. But what else I love is when Howie finally finds the wee girl just before it and she doesn't want to be saved. She doesn't need to be saved. And to me, that's also horrific. That's another killer gut punch right there is he's managed to work out this mystery and there's no one needing to be saved. His goal through this film is worthless. Yeah, it's funny as well, like not one... Islander shows any kind of, you know, like to challenge what they're about to do. You know, they all go along with it. They all see it as the right thing to do. It's necessary 
for their crop the following year, you know, to survive. And it's it's just terrifying. Like, it is the power of cult, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot of uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, every time the victims run into someone else, they think that person can save them, but they're in on it. It's the same here. There is, like, well... There's so much about saying there's no escape. There's only one way on and off the island, so therefore there's no escape there. But also, there's no escape from any help from the locals. And the last, um, you know, the image of the wicker man burning just made me question, like, how did they do that? How did they do that? Like, the flames are coming up and up, and you're seeing um, how he obviously inside. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is so real. And then to go from that, the distress of both the human and the animals to then just silence with this thing, this wood burning, you know, and then the head just kind of falling over. It's, yeah, it's it's such an unsettling scene. That goes nicely on to my last point, which is just the horror and the use of imagery to try and like show that. So Midsummer, which pays a lot of respect to this film, um, gets praised because it's a horror film set completely in daylight. And I think this film deserves more credit for this as well. There's very little scenes that are set at night and when they are set at night, not a lot of horror happens then. So it's not using the night uh, for its horror elements. And there's a few other things like the beetle in the desk uh, mm-hmm. and it's nailed to the desk and the schoolgirl says it just keeps going round and round until it hits the nail. And I think that is Detective Howie. He is going round and round this island looking for clues and he's just getting closer and closer to the centre of it and what does he realise is the centre of it is his his death, basically. And one of the other things is the sacrifice, the person has to be a fool and when he does get tied up and frees himself and dresses up, he dresses as the fool, which obviously is right on the nose, but I just think mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing you might not recognise the first time. And the use of the symbolic use of the hairs as well. So there's the chocolate shaped hairs in the, the post office. Um, there's the hair painting that the other daughter is doing. There's the hair in the grave. And to me, again, that's to show how he's almost like a rabbit in the headlights in this film, isn't he? He's like, he has the hair to be hunted. Um, I guess the only other one would be the use of the animal masks. Uh, that the children use and dress up in they're so creepy looking just the way they pop up from like the wall the mm-hmm. same way like a rabbit or like a squirrel might like pop its head up and have a wee look about then go back down animals don't really bow down to gods and they don't care about religion or respect so it makes sense that this pagan group would use them as well they're like symbolic of nature which is very prominent in their religion oh the masks are just so freaky and then again, they're just having the best time in these masks and that makes it even more scary. <laughs> Absolutely. Has anyone got any other um, notes on the film or anything they didn't like about the film? Uh, just only an interesting piece of trivia. I came across that uh, Christopher Lee did it for free, which I thought was was really cool. Um, and uh, like I think you touched on earlier, he regards it as one of his best, best films and you can see why, you know, it's... Is superb. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. That is quite cool. Yeah, I know. Because I always thought I always wondered why Britt Eklund was in this film. You know, she she was dubbed, 
And yeah. I don't know at that point as well how well known she was because I know she was in a Bond film kind of around that time, but I don't know if that was before or after. But she, it just felt when you've got Christopher Lee on board, why why do you need Brett Eklund, you know? And just to, just to be there, just to be dubbed, you know? I, I just felt that was a wee bit, wee bit strange. The only notes that I've got is I didn't like when Howie was in the library reading the book on the May Festival because it felt like that was a bit of voiceover just to give us information. Mm. I felt like that was quite lazy writing, to be honest, which is funny because we spoke about how good the voiceover is and train spotting and stuff, but I felt it was quite um, lazy here. So, yeah, that that's basically, basically it. Yeah, I just, I think it is a great film. It is... It's scary in a way that I can handle. <laughs> I really don't like um, jump scares because I get such a fright so easily. But this is just one that makes you think and it's unnerving and keeps you on edge. Um, so yeah, definitely a great film and not one that I would have gone to watch just like looking on Netflix or Prime or something like, oh, what should I watch? Um, but I'm very glad I have now. Have any of you seen the remake no, no, I refuse to watch it. <laughs> I have just heard some awful things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you type into YouTube Nicholas Cage bear punch, you'll get a cracking scene where he's dressed up in a bear costume and punches one of the villagers. It's just so silly and um chaotic. But I think the film it's too shiny, it's too Hollywood, and it totally misses the point of what made the Wicker Man the Wicker Man, it's missing the dirt and the bizarre and almost the rawness of the original. Mm-hmm. It was funny, when we were at college, one of our mates, Alan, he did his short film as The Wicker Cow and tried to do a parody film of it, which was quite entertaining. And it's funny that there hasn't actually been a more sort of mainstream comedy version mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. But then again, it's it's hard to kind of, you know, follow that kind of plot line but turn it into a comedy whereas that film kind of almost feels like a comedy in some places but then just turns mm-hmm. into horror you know yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's funny so- though it's, it's a film though i think was done at the right time because had you done it nowadays i think there would be cgi and all sorts in it and i think it just would not be the same kind of film the fact it doesn't have you know access to cgi and all these like modern day um aspects of filmmaking i think it's like Lawrence of Arabia as well, you know, everything in that film is real, you know, there's not one animated horse or anything, you know, and I think when it is all done for real, it's just phenomenal, and the fact that they did have that Wicker Man set and did set fire to it with poor Edward Woodward sitting in the middle of it, you know, that's yeah. that's how you, you genuinely get the fear out of people when they're acting, is to, to bring it almost close, <laughs> you know, close to being real life. Crazy. I've also heard that um, quite a few people involved with the American remake just totally disassociated themselves with it, you know, are not very proud of it. And I have just heard some not so good things about it. The other thing, the other issue I've got with the remake is it's not even set in Scotland anymore. And Mm. I would even be happy with it being like this American character that comes to Scotland because then you've got that separation already between like countries and cultures. Then it gets even weirder when he gets to this small island, you know. But yeah, they, they missed the mark with it. Definitely. Um, so I'd love to know, has anyone's rating of the film changed? 
Oh, um, I don't know, actually. I mean, I, I would be tempted to say it could go up to a nine, you know. Um, no, I think I will stick with my, my eight because there's still little aspects of it that I don't like that could have made it a perfect nine. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll stick with eight. Mm-hmm. Gary, what about you? Uh, I'm going to stick with an eight as well. Yeah. Nice. And I think I will go up to a 7.5. I think there's a lot in this film that after talking about it, I appreciate it more. Yeah. Was there also not a sequel made by it with, from the same director? It's called The Wicker Tree. Yes, 2011. I mean, it's not a great reviews either, but because it is a direct sequel to the film set years later, or made years later, I'd be, it's piqued my interest to try and find yeah. it. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we will take a little break and we'll be back with our quick fire quiz round. In the woods there grew a tree, and a fine, fine tree was he. And on that tree there was a limb, and on that limb there was a branch, and on that branch there was a nest, and in that nest there was an egg, and in that egg there was a bird, and from that bird a feather came, and of that feather was a So, Gary and I are going to each ask you five questions. So, in the words of Sergeant High, oh, Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly no bearing on your knowledge of the film. We've uh, dived deep today, so there's a lot of info there. Okay, I'm going to start us off with my first question. Which 1967 novel inspired this film? Oh, God. I'll pass. It's called Ritual. Oh. David Pinner. What was Rowan Morrison's mum's first name? I do not know. It was May Morrison. May Morrison. Oh, I can actually hear him saying that. May Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Okay, number two. Who stars in the 2006 remake? Be Nicholas Cage. Yes. Um, what was the name of the island? Barren Island? No, it's Summer Isle. Um, my third question, what does Rowan's mother put in her younger daughter's mouth to cure her sore throat? It's a frog. Yes. Um, what was the name of the pub slash inn? Oh, nope, pass. The Green Man Inn. Green Man Inn. <laughs> what psalm from the Bible does Howie recite in The Wicker Man as it's burning? Yeah, I'll have to pass there. Sam23. I wouldn't have even got that either. Um, Me neither. <laughs> what is Sergeant Howie's first name? I think it's Neil. Yes. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, and last from me, true or false, although the film is set in April slash May, it was filmed in October and November. That is true. Yes. And which Harvest Festival photograph year is missing from the wall? 1972. Yes. Yes. Well done. Well done. Okay. To round off the show, as always, we each state our fun fact of the day. So I'm going to go first today. And my fun fact is that in any given month, approximately 1.28 billion people are active on Facebook. This is roughly uh, the equivalent to the entire population of India. Uh, So yeah, that's in any, yeah, active on Facebook in any given month or on any given day. I don't know. I think it's on any given month. 1.28 billion people. It makes me so sad, doesn't it? That that's how it's, much time we're all spending on social media. You know, there were there were um, facts when I was because lo- I was looking up a social media fact because I'd spent a lot of time on social media, and um, there were facts about how many years of our lives we spend. But I was like, I'm just going to pass over, yeah. pass over on that one. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. And it'll probably be a lot worse just now during lockdown because there's nothing else to do really. Completely, Gary. What's your fun fact of the day? So mine is up until the 1800s barbers would also be your dentist so there was no such thing as an actual dentist to go and visit and they weren't full-time dentists but focused more on removing any infected teeth and the last barber surgeon died in the 1820s so there you go so you would go and get your hair cut and get any infected teeth removed at the same time See, that's a bizarre combination. I know. Yeah. It doesn't seem too hygienic. I know. <laughs> uh, but some of the tools that were invented to remove the teeth uh, that the barbers created are actually still like used today, but obviously more modernised. So they knew they knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Very true. And Chris, what's your fun fact of the day? I found out that the largest manufacturer of tyres is not Bridgestone or Goodyear, it's Lego. Yes, oh, I've yes. read that somewhere as well. So there's a bizarre interesting fact. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Lots of random facts for your ears today. So we also obviously all recommend a short film that we are loving and that you guys can go and check out because we will link them in the show notes. So my short film is called Never Have I Ever and it's directed and written by Lucas Caputo. And it gives me book smart vibes. It's about two best friends the night before one leaves for college and they are playing a game of Never Have I Ever. It's really, really short. Um, it's a really nice short film that I would definitely recommend. Feel good one as well. So it's a nice, nice one. If you've just watched The Wicker Man and you're needing some good vibes in your life, <laughs> go and watch uh, Never Have I Ever. Gary, what's your short film this week? So mine is also by Rachel... Flynn, who was our first guest, uh, and it's called Body Issues, and it was filmed during lockdown, but you wouldn't think it to watch it. It's very, very well done. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it's about. I'm just going to use their logline, and it is glitter, confetti, whipped cream with a cherry on top. There really (laughs) is an innocent explanation. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. That's a very good one. Chris, which short film are you going to recommend? 
Well, I thought, uh, staying in line with the theme of Scotland, I would pick my favourite Scottish short film, and it is The Lost Purse by Colin Ross Smith. Um, I would try and give you a synopsis, but then I'll just end up telling you the entire film. So, But I think it's one of the nicest short films out there. It just fits the genre so well, and yeah, like you say, if you've just watched Wicker Man, it's a nice sort of film just to kind of bring, you, bring you back and cheer you up. Chris, is some of that set on a train or a bus? It is on a train, yes. Yes, I have seen that years ago and I did not know that it was Colin's film that I had watched. That is a lovely wee film, yeah. Nice. We will definitely put a link to that in the notes as well. So, that is the end of our episode. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This has been a wonderful film to talk about and you've been a great guest host. Can you? Thank you to you both. Thank you. Can you tell our listeners where they can keep up to date with you um, and any projects you're working on on social media? Uh, yes, well, I've got a page on Facebook, I'm sure, somewhere. And yeah, my website has all the information about our latest film, Autumn Never Dies, which is still going around the festival circuit at the moment. So yeah, all the information's there. Amazing. Nice. Thank you. And we'll um, put a link. Uh, Chris, is your Autumn Never Dies, is that available publicly yet? Not yet, no, but the trailer is, so you're cool. more than welcome to post the trailer. Yeah, we'll do that for you, yeah. Absolutely, you. and we'll link your website as well. Um, so, as always, I'm Ashley, and you can find me at, at Ashley Sutherland on Instagram or at Ash Sutherland 4 on Twitter. I'm Gary, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Pro. And we would love if you could leave a little review of the podcast, tell us what you're loving about it, and even mention your favourite episode on Apple Podcasts and if you want to get deeper into the conversation you can email us at choosefilmpodcast.hotmail.com and of course follow us on Twitter at filmchoose and choosefilmpodcast on Instagram. You have been listening to Choose Film Um, and join us next week where we have a bonus episode for you. So thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. This conversation kind of